Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Um, 
you know, the Warriors won the finals, defeated the Cavs, um, in kind of going away fashion, 4-1. Uh, and it kind of has set the league um, on an entirely new course. And I'm trying to think about, like, just a moment in either a TV show or an artistic genre where something has happened and it has changed the whole entire way people just go about doing their business. Um, because this Warrior team, I think, has the league, I don't want to say scrambling, just recalibrating um, where they're at and what they need to do to compete. Um and, you know, that's the beauty of, of a competitive field and competitive sports is that, you know, somebody does something that totally breaks the mold and it forces everybody. It forces everybody to re, re, rethink what they're doing. Um, it goes it, – it, it, it takes me back to a story I heard at a coaching clinic about um, the first man that broke the four-minute mile. You know, there was a bunch of science behind the fact that they didn't think a human being could even do it. You know, mm-hmm. and then the first guy does it, and I think within like three months somebody else does it, and then it gets the four minute mile gets broken like within the next year like ten times. So it just took one person to do it, and it flipped how everybody else thought about themselves, and just running a mile. You know what I mean? And I feel like the Warriors have flipped the switch with the NBA world, where everybody's just thinking about themselves and the game and how you go about building a team differently um, or at least in response to what the Warriors have created. Um, You know, there was a talk about the Warriors, and we haven't had a chance to talk about this, and I want to get your opinion, about the Warriors potentially being the greatest team of all time. I don't want to spend too much time on it. What are your thoughts on that conversation? I mean, I think they're. I think that they're um, in a conversation, but I, you know, I feel like um, they're. Uh, for me, that you know, when you talk about greatest teams, I think you got to start putting in context in terms of what they do. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think they they've had a, they had a great season, but there were you know there are a lot of great teams that we've seen over the years, and so. Um, you know, I don't know where I put them in there. I mean, but they're definitely – you can make an argument, you know, we started to put together your top ten. You would be hard-pressed to leave them out of it. Where they are, it's one of those things that we start having that who's in the little room kind of conversation. You start to nuance it. I think you start to bring back what some of these other teams were able to do and start to enlighten folks. Then you go, well, okay, you know. But you know they're in the conversation. So I feel like they're in the conversation. Um, I think there's some things that sway people in terms of how you evaluate their greatness. And, you know, a lot of the KD argument about how he came versus some of the other stuff start to get into it. But I think that also, you know, some of these other great teams we're talking about were created through some of the similar circumstances. So I don't want to get too deep into that. But, you know, I think they're, you know, if you were to have a team picture, they, they could be in the team picture. But I also think there's some, you know, even the other great teams you talk about, they have a great year, but you also talk about it in terms of a a run. It has a dynasty feel with it with a great year. You know, like, so if you're talking about the Bulls, you know, you know, being in that context, it's not just, you know, you might not talk like the year where they won, you know, whatever it is, 72 games or whatever that was, you know, but you also talk about it in the context of winning three championships, right, in a way in which they did it. So, I think, you know, if they make this run again next year, I think it'll be a different kind of conversation. That's the way I see it. But they're definitely in the conversation. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm not a fan of the the, the greatest team of all time conversation, much less I'm not a fan of the greatest player of all time conversation very much either. Um, but I'm even much less of a fan of the greatest team of all time conversation. Because yeah. I think when yeah. you start talking about teams, errors are so different. Um, yeah. And it really impacts, like, how a team is structured, um, what style of play is being used. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a firm believer that today's players are more skilled than yesteryear's players. It doesn't necessarily diminish yesteryear's players' greatness. They were still great players, but I think today's players are more skilled. Um, you have seven-footers who could do stuff that seven-footers 20 years ago just wouldn't even think about doing. 
and the game is supposed mm-hmm. to evolve like that. Like it's supposed to be a sport where yeah. the skill level is higher. And if the skill level and what skill level in basketball wasn't higher, then it then it was, isn't higher than it was 20 years ago. Then everybody involved in the game is doing something wrong. You know, there aren't very mm-hmm. many sports where it isn't being played at a higher level currently today than it was 20 years ago, and that's just evolution. Mm-hmm. With that said, I, I think like things were just so like the 90s, the 90s Bulls, they were constructed differently to do different things. Um, but they were also constructed similarly. Like, they were a small ball team, yeah. when you really think about it. Like, they didn't rely on the big and yeah. the down low. Um, and they really shifted. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing that I think, you know, Michael Jordan gets a lot of credit for a lot of things. But he doesn't get credit for, in my opinion, shifting the game away from the dominant big to the dominant wing. And for the last 20 years of NBA basketball, it has been about the dominant wing. Um, whether you go from Jordan, Iverson, Vince Carter, Kobe, on and on and on, it's been about the dominant perimeter score. And there have been big sprinkles in like Shaq and Duncan have been existing in that. But before, there were like five or six bigs that you had to talk about. You know what I mean? And the game has shifted. And Jordan was the dude that kind of brought that in. Um, where the game – and Matt, you saw it with Magic and Bird where it started to evolve and you had these wing – big guy, big perimeter guys who were making plays for their team. And then Jordan kind of really seized it and really shifted that, that, that momentum, pushing the game towards the perimeter. And now you see someone like Steph Curry come along and even push it further out. Um, and so it's, it's been interesting uh, that that's, that's, that's a little tidbit, I think, that doesn't get brought up a lot when people have these very basic and rudimentary conversations about Jordan where they just count rings and, and it's just, it just, that, 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 that's, I'm not, I'm not here for that. (laughs) I'm not here for the ring counting. Yeah. But if we want to talk about impact and the game on a wider level, we can do that, but I'm not here for the ring counting. Yeah. And the other thing is, even though it's pushed towards the perimeter, I think even KD showed this year, which was part about Jordan, it didn't substitute the post game. What they did was extended the post game more to the skinny post it made it a different kind of post game. So it wasn't like the post game just went away. So if you look at some of the key plays that KD made, similar to how Jordan did it, you know, he had his money post game in there. And it was extended. Right. And but he was a wing. And that's space. the thing that I'm yeah, – Yeah, he was a wing creating that. that. He, he was a wing. Yeah. And it, it was like, okay, yeah. we can win with a great – we can win with a wing. We don't have to have the dominant seven-footer. You know what I mean? And no. I think that shifted how people thought about the game. Because before – and that's why Jordan went third in his draft. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He went third in his own draft because people who were creating teams thought you needed a seven-footer. Because up until that yeah. point, Kareem, Wilt, um, Bill Walton, people like that had been dominating the game. Moses Malone. Um, and they felt like you needed a dominant wing, I mean a dominant post, to be able to win, which is why Jordan went third. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he had a post game, yeah. he had post skills, but he was a wing player. And I think what he did was he broke that mold and showed that, like, a wing player can take you uh, and, and get you rings. Um, and I don't think that and was the I, common I even, thing. Like I, said, I, I, think, I would even say a step before that, Zeke and them did it, particularly with the addition of Lambert, space on the floor, that, you know, Jordan kind of catapulted. But I would say – it made that the, – the big had to be able to shoot, right? It changed the notion that if you had a big, you had to have somebody like a Lambeer or somebody like or, or Sam Perkins, right, who, who would bring people out of the lane, right? That was the next evolution, who, who could knock down long freaks, you know? And so right. that opened it up for that wing to play. So they, they gradually kind of changed the role of the big, you know, in that space. And I think – you know what's interesting about what you just said about the, uh, about Golden State is at the end of the day, the teams that win have a clear identity, right? Even though they, they but they're but they're, when you talk about the Bulls, there was something distinctive that you could say they work, right? You know they were going to extend mm-hmm. their defense, mm-hmm. they're going to trap you, they were going to do this, and then offensively they're going to do. But they they had an identity. And they drafted and developed along that identity, which is what you can say is true for Golden State. You know, there's a lot of teams that try to play that spread and whatever, but Golden State drove a culture. Because the part about Golden State that people 
didn't realize, and I think we even talked about this before they won their first championship, and you and I talked a little about it. When you start looking at where they were ranked in terms of defense, offense, and then, when you know, they do that kind of combined ranking. What surprised me early on before the first championship, I'm looking at them like, because they were getting branded as this offensive team, I'm like, hey, man, they defensively, their defensive efficiency and the way they play defense is actually pretty hot. You know, so it wasn't like, you know, they had them branded as this great offensive team, but you like, these guys are actually committing to the defensive side of the ball. And so that balance, like, like that's what's true about it. I think where teams might be missing it with chasing Golden State is they're only focused on what they do offensively and not focused on the fact that they are focused on stopping people, right? They play as good defense as anyone. And so their stars are even evolved to try and stop them defensively. And I think that's the part that a lot of these teams miss, that, that they got players, they got more players, and you and I have talked about this, they got more players who can play both ends well. Right, and so they don't have you know who commit to it in ways that you don't see a lot of other teams do. You know, one of the things we talk about Cleveland is that they got too many one-way players. Guys can either be defense, can't do offense, do offense, can't do defense. But Golden State got more guys. Their guys can play at least at a, a respectable level. If nothing else, and a couple guys are playing elite on both ends. And so it's interesting. I'm seeing how these teams are building as we get a free agency. That sometimes with some of these teams, I think they missing that part of what they're developing. And it, but you can see the teams who understand it, right? And they're going, but there's an identity about it. And I, some of these teams I know we're going to talk about, they're making moves, but you're going to say, like, what are they trying to do? Like, win, lose, or draw, the teams who do well, whether you've never beat a Gold State, but you always are making it to the Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals, most of those teams have some type of identity. And when I'm looking at some of these moves that we'll get to, I'm like, okay, what are y'all trying to do? Who are y'all? Yeah, and so let's start with the moves. Let's start with the shifting and the moving of the pieces, and let's go back in time, and let's start with the NBA draft. Um, The draft was opened up with a big trade um, between the Boston Celtics, who traded out of the first spot um, and and moved into the third spot, and then you had the Jimmy Butler trade um, where the Chicago Bulls uh, traded Jimmy Butler, one of the top ten players in the league, to the Minnesota Timberwolves, a young and upcoming team. Um, for some young pieces and, to, and, and a draft pick because they gave up a draft pick, which um, I'm, uh, the Chicago Bulls fans that we kick it with uh, were, you know, <laughs> upset about. They went crazy. Before we get – and let's talk about the Jimmy Butler trade real quick. Yeah. The thing I want the Man. thing I want to just give everybody a heads up on who is following the NBA, the days of having a superstar and then trading them for, like, this huge haul – are over. Name me the last dude, big name yep. star who got traded, and the team got like a whole bunch of good stuff. You go back to Dwight Howard. Nope. Yeah. Um. Who else? Demarcus Cousins. Nope. Um. You know, like I mean, you may say Denver and Carmelo. When Denver traded Carmelo, and they got some stuff back. Man, I'm up here trying to figure out what's going on with Russell Westbrook, man. Russell is wearing some stuff he shouldn't wear. He accepted, <laughs> he accepted the war. He was wearing some bottoms. I wasn't sure if he was trying to go open gyms or what with some with a black top. Like some of these stylists, like everything ain't made to be well worn. Like, like I wasn't sure if he was. He, he should have some slippers on. I'm telling you, dog. It was some old school green like sweat bottles, like the. It looked like a it looked like a nineteen eighty two Boston Celtic warm up with a black shirt dress shirt like I wasn't sure what this cat is doing what is going on man I'm just saying man I'm just saying. <laughs> that's how it be these guys nowadays man they just they just wild I I just chalk it up and it's, it's not for me it's not my thing like I like a little style a little classiness. But they just kind of get out there, all exotic with it, and it's just like, yo, is you, are you going to a basketball game or a rave? Like I can't even like, yes. what are you dressed for right now? You know what I mean? Are you dressed for a bum fight? <laughs> what are you dressed for? <laughs> I mean, when you see this outfit, man, I'm like, I'm like, is he? Is, is, is he? Is he? Is, is you? You know how sometimes you cut to somebody's living room to accept an award? I'm like, they must be cut to this cat's living room because you can go wear this out. In this one, you got Michelle Obama at this event. 
and you coming out here looking like you should have some slippers on. Come on, y'all. Wait, you know, KD and Steph don't look kind of salty, though. <laughs> hey. I didn't hear the volume, but that's how I go, baby. You know, it's just kind of how, how, how it be right now. <laughs> that is how but you were you were talking about oh. you were you were talking about the value you get back from a uh trade and I was saying in your absence, I don't know if it was caught, was that um you could only hope in today's thing to get a couple of young pieces that you think might work for a draft pick. Like if you get lucky to get that out of it, and I think what Chicago got was they just wanted to fly on two young guys that they hope pan out. To me that's about as good as you can get with a thing like Jimmy Butler. I just hope these young cats actually turn into something. They got potential to do that, but you're not going to get any big-time value other than you see a young cat they may have given up on that you think can turn it around in your environment. That's about, that's about as best you can get. If you get lucky, maybe a pick that you hope might turn into something. But you're not going to get, like you said, the wholesale. You know, there's no more Herschel Walker-type deals out there. This ain't happening. Right. You ain't got Red Allback right. pulling a, you know, a deal where he's going to get Robert Parrish and – uh, uh, other than if you do a trade with Brooklyn, then you might get something. <laughs> well, Brooklyn, and actually, Brooklyn, Brooklyn is kind of figuring it out now, man. They kind of figuring it out. They made they some are. competent moves, and they might be not complete trash next year. Um, but we were talking about the draft, um, and so far, so good, man. This draft has been really intriguing. Um, the guys who have been picked, there weren't a whole lot of surprises on draft night. Um, and the guys who have been picked uh, and have played in summer league thus far have all looked very, very good. Um, I mean, you know, the Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox, that top five is like one of the most solid top fives I think we've had in a long time. Where you like, yeah, I, I can see all of these guys becoming a, if not a surefire all-star, a borderline all-star. Folks um, mm-hmm. was giving guys the business before he uh, messed up his ankle. Um, Lonzo, I think he's just a different kind of player. Um, but yeah. I, you can see his impact on that team already um, and just mm-hmm. how he moves the ball. Um, he, I think he's going to be a, a very good player, a very good player. Um, I am not in the Lonzo ball is going to suck camp. Um, I think he's a different kind of player. But I think his – when you talk about building an identity, his style of play gives your team an identity. Mm-hmm. They get more good shots, even in the summer league, than I saw them get all last year. Like, he gets people into good shots. In the NBA, that's half the battle. <laughs> Getting good looks. And they just – even with you – know, you know, they don't have that much time to practice. He gets them into good shots. And that's the part that I love about, uh, you know, this process is that, you know, these guys are getting into good shots, man. They're getting the kinds of things that um, you hope that you get with a young player like that at your point guard. Like, they got a lot of different good talent they're putting together. I think the Brook Lopez um, pickup is solid. Um, you know, they're talking about overall winners. I mean, the stuff that Magic Johnson and Rob Link have done – in a short period of time compared to what you saw happen in New York. I mean, they're, they've done more in probably a month and a half than New York did all like, like New York has probably done in like the past six years. When you think about, you know, these anchor franchises on the coast um, and the way they move some um, to create that, that, that anchor in there um, and create that, that stuff. They got uh, Caldwell Pope, and so they add really good, solid veterans into the place, mixed with some of these young guys. You know, some of these young guys who are now developing as sophomores and getting stuff together. Um, you know, I love the Thomas Robinson pickup. You know, Thomas Robinson, I watched him uh, at the Hoop Hysteria um, in Indiana. He won a three-point contest. This is a big. He can shoot. He can spread. But he got a big-time motor. He rebounds. He puts it together. Keep getting into the game. You know, I love, you know, all the stuff that he has going on uh, with it. So the Lakers have really, you know, with Ball put together some things. And if Ball is only going to become a better player, like when I watch him play, Rob Lincoln talked a little bit about, you know, when he watched his workout, 
he's not the kind of kid you can really evaluate playing by himself. That's like, you know, that's that's like having a great musician just play by himself. But when he puts the whole, all the instruments together, you really see the creativity, creativity and the fullness uh, of a player like that. And so Alonzo's only going to be better as they put the rest of the team around him. He's going to get them into good shots. But they got a lot of good pieces, uh, part of that mix that, Good. So I'm like, not even just the top five players. I know Marcus was mentioning it earlier, but like I'm seeing depth in some of these other players, um, and that you know the maturity level. You hear these guys interview. They just had a, you know, the way these these guys are also ready for prime time. You know, De'Aaron Fox from the interview. Yeah. It's like yeah. he's like a five six year vet. You know, these guys the way right. they. And it's not just it, yeah, it's not just real stuff. Like it's not like somebody was in their ear like an agent. It just they just know how to do it. Which is, it's just wild when you hear them. Like they got this old wisdom kind of aspect to them that you was like, "Hey, these guys are wise beyond their years." You know, uh, I'm feeling them, man. So you're right, man. This this group of I've been watching summer league. And I know we've been in our, our text message group talking a little bit about this, man. And you know, with some of these cats yeah, that we have in our in our group, and we, you know, we're like, you know, sometimes you can look at somebody and you can just tell they can do it. Like you don't need a lot yes. of film. Like, you can tell they can just play. Like, it's underrated. I always right. hear some of the NBA guys, I hear some of these goals going, it's summer league, it's this and that. And I'm like, anybody who's been around basketball, you you, you don't care if the kid playing to part. You can tell when somebody can play. Even You just can tell if you spend enough time around players. And these right. kids right. that we're talking about can play. <laughs> and I, you, yeah, I the know whole you summer league thing is just weird to me. Yeah, the whole it's summer league thing is just—it just sounds like a thing to say because it's like, well, do we just say, well, this is just college? <laughs> like they're not playing against pros in college either. <laughs> they're playing against more professional level players in summer league than they ever will in college on a night-to-night basis. Like every night, these guys are are the best dudes in college, and we act, but we somehow we give more credence to what a guy does in college over what happens in summer league. I don't get that, but that's kind of what people do. It's a weird thing, but you're absolutely right, D. Wills. Like you ain't gotta, you ain't gotta watch nobody play against pros to know if they're a pro. Like there's certain things that you can just see. Um, I think the things that you can see in summer league, you can see if a guy has like point guards. Like there's certain things that'll happen in summer league with point guards where, you know, if a point guard scoring 25 points a game in summer league, and that's probably not what we're gonna be asking you to do. That's great that you can do that, but that's probably not the role that you're gonna be playing. Like, our guys doing the things that translate, that are going to translate to the role that they will potentially have, that's how you're going to tell they can contribute. There's a big man rebound. Like, if he's getting rebounds in summer league, okay, then he's got he's, – he's showing that he can do a thing at this level. And then not playing defense. If you ain't playing – if you can't guard in summer league, then you ain't going to play defense in the season. <laughs> so there's certain <laughs> things that you can look for in summer league, and it can be there can be some, some telltales. And then it's just like – some people have it, and you got to know it when you see it. I don't care if you're watching them. Like you said, I don't care if you watch them on the playground or on Saturday morning. You just got to know it when you see it. Like, if some people just pop out at you, and if you know the game, you, you will see that. You will see certain things where it's like, that guy's going to turn out to be a player. And you might see some guys who aren't heralded where you're like, that's a guy that I like my team to go after. Um, that's a guy that I think could could be a good role player on a good team, um, you know, uh, those, there are still things that you can see if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, if you ain't got no clue what you're looking for, yep, it's just summer league. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> the summer league, there's there's been some 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 great stuff in summer league, and, and again, you can see the pieces and glimpses of what's to come from some of these young guys. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head on on, on some of the stuff that. Um, uh, you know, I've been yeah, I've been very impressed with what I, what I, what I've been seeing um, in summer league, and there's some highlights. And you know, when we're talking about who's winning kind of free agency, you know, part of it starts with the draft. You know, what do they do with the draft, and then what do they build uh, on those, and how that all those pieces play together. And also in summer league, you know, what do those second year guys look like? So you, you take right. somebody like a Bryce Johnson and um, uh, some of those guys who now have their second year, and they, you know that teammates and moves and, you know, they're going to be getting more minutes, you know, are they ready for these more minutes and what kind of impact, you know, can, you know, these guys make um, in, in, uh, in, uh, when they get, when they get the, when they get the minutes, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, 
um, you know, gets me uh, excited about it. You know, or Chris, um, in terms of what I've seen with him for Phoenix and the aggressiveness and the attitudes, like just the footwork, you know, knowing where he got to get his shots, where probably last summer league he was rushing everything. But the patience, you know, what that's going to mean for adding depth into their lineup. You know, and he's getting some run with somebody like Jackson. He's going to be he's going to be on the floor with because Jackson's going to play. So, you know, it's, it's that part that you start to see what those second-year guys are doing or Buddy Hill, you know, now that he knows that he's going to be here. So, you know, how is he growing? Because you know he's going to be someone that's going to look in the school. So, you know, how is that second summer looking for that growth? You know, mm-hmm. they dominate the second summer like they're supposed to. That's the part I also look for. Because we have so much yeah. focus on these rookies. You know, I'm really starting to put my eye on, like, who are these second-year guys? How have they grown from last year to this year? What do they work on? Because that tells you a little bit, too, like, do they got something new that they've worked on and developed this summer that we didn't see last summer, which tells you that they're beginning to, as you always say, self-scout, right? <laughs> and they're beginning right. to develop that, and they're following the instructions of the team, and you can see it playing out in the summer league experience. So I think there's a lot you can get um, from it. If it didn't work, coaches wouldn't want to do it. The NBA wouldn't do it if it wasn't working, especially with the way in which some of these teams like San Antonio have now developed almost like baseball strategies where they are they are developing these players, you know, the ones who really get it, they are like treating it like it's baseball. And you've seen guys who you saw two years ago, now them kids are playing at a whole nother level because they've really groomed them to get ready to join the roster. So I think even the NBA yeah. teams are changing they're moving more to like baseball with this because they get some of these kids so young. Um that they know they can yeah. develop and grow. In that way, yeah, and this whole concept of the the two way contracts and, and things like that are mm-hmm. allowing for um, that mentality to kind of take hold and take root and mm-hmm. uh, develop a little bit more and get deeper ingrained into the development process in the NBA. Um, but you're right on, man. Uh, you know, and, and that 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 internal growth, right? That growth from within mm-hmm. is so underrated. But that's how the Warriors became the Warriors. You know, before KD right. got there, Steph grew and became Steph. Clay developed and became Clay Thompson. These guys weren't one number one picks that were supposed to be surefire, legit all stars. Draymond grew, mm-hmm. and you got to have an environment that grows players. I don't care what you're doing free agency, or or who you think you're going to attract, or who you think you're going to sign. You have to have an environment where you grow talent. And if you can't have that environment, you're going to be spinning your wheels and trying to roll a dice and find people, find and entice people to come to you rather than growing your own. And that's what I appreciate a little bit about Philadelphia's process. Um, and I know yep. it's kind of a running joke about the process, but, you know, it, it's a big deal. Um, and it's working. I don't care what you say, it's working. Um, they have three guys now on their roster who, by all accounts, should be very, very good players in the NBA within the next three to four years. Um, Embiid is definitely, definitely an impact player. He just has to stay healthy. But honestly, I think if they get 60 to 70 games of Embiid last year, they might have made the playoffs in the East. You know what I mean? They won 28 games with him only playing 30-some. You know, and when he was playing, they were pretty much a 500 team. Um, so I see him as really a game-changing player. And that's a conversation that I think we want to get into as we start talking about free agency, mm-hmm. is this perception that um, the West is so loaded and that the East is just going to be bad and and we just need to, like, scrap that whole conference model. It's cute to talk about, but when you really think mm-hmm. about it, and I'm looking through free agency right now, um, what big-name player from the East – when and signed to the West. Signed. Like, on their own accord, left the Eastern Conference. There's one. Millsap. Paul Millsap. Millsap. He's yep. the only one. So, like, this whole, like, oh, my God, all the best players are in the West. Two guys were traded. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they team, yep. their teams were mediocre in the East. You know what I mean? Like, so two guys were traded. Like, it's not... There isn't this mass exodus of guys who are choosing to go west from the east. Um, and when you start really looking at the landscape, like this whole LeBron to L.A. talk makes 
so little sense at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Simply because, why would LeBron go to the Western Conference? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that, that part. He's been in seven. He's been in seven straight finals, and I think part of the reason, and this is something that I think when people start to take historical uh, inventory of things, people say, "Well, the East has been bad for twenty years. We just need to move on from the from the conference model." The East has had arguably the two best players in the history of the game <laughs> for the last twenty years. When you talk about going from Jordan, then you know there was a lull, and then LeBron. Right, and so it's like a lot of cats are running because they don't want to compete against. They didn't want Charles Barkley left the East. You know what I mean? Shaq left the East. They them cats went west because they didn't want nothing to do with Mike. And you can say the same for a lot of guys going west. And when you add in, and when you add in D Wade in that little mix there, you know this right. something. Yeah, you. I mean, the East wasn't an easy place to. You know, that's why people were voting. Exactly. So it's just like, you know, when the best player is in the league is in one, on one side, yeah, you go into the other side. <laughs> Why? Because you ain't got to go through that guy. Um, and so that's just an interesting thing, I think, to think about um, when people talk about, like, the East. And, again, I think in three years we're going to be having a very different conversation as Giannis, content, as Giannis Antetokounmpo continues to grow. Um, the, the guys in Philly start to grow up and become great players. Uh, John Wall is a great player. Like people keep talking about oh, the top 14 players at the beginning of the season from this ESPN poll. That poll was taken at the beginning of the season. Giannis ain't on that poll. Are you kidding me? Dude's a top seven, top six player in the league. If he ain't on your poll, your poll whack. Period. Period. You know what I mean? Like he's not on that poll. John Wall had the best season of his career. He ain't on that poll. It's like, you know, I think sometimes we just talk to be the media. And when I say we, the media, we just talk because we need to talk. Um, and we need to fill airspace. And that's what they've been doing with this whole Eastern Conference talk. It's not a real thing. I, it's not a real thing at all. Um, the East will be fine. It'll be bad this year. Um, DeMar DeRozan ain't even on that list. And because people didn't see him as that kind of a player at the beginning of the last season. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I just think things can be a bit overblown. There are really good players who are still in the East. There isn't the depth that they have in the West, um, but that'll change. Because, again, Cats going to start leaving the West. Gordon Haywood is in the East for a reason. Because he looked at that Utah team and he said, yeah, I love these guys and we could be good, but we ain't good enough to be Golden State. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and and LeBron's going to do the same thing. He's going to look at the landscape out there in a year. What's going to change that much in a year? where LeBron is going to think he has a team in the West with him on it that's going to beat the Warriors. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah, because, I mean, he's playing with Kyrie and Kevin Love right now. They not chop liver. <laughs> and they could mm-hmm. beat the Warriors but once. So it's like, how is he going to get a better supporting cast than that? You know what I mean? When, when you talk about, like, your second and third chair. So I think that's a bit overblown. Um, tell me this: What were some of the moves that you liked the most about this offseason, or that you were excited about the most this offseason that were made during free agency signings, trades? What really piqued your interest um, and had you intrigued uh, about certain teams going into the next season? Well, I, I think you know, and I was I knew we were going to talk a little bit about this, and, and so I kind of put this winner. There was a, I think there was a number of good moves based on how they're going to play out. But let me just start with the Lakers, man. You know, I'm a Piston guy, so I, I can't believe I'm talking about this. But you got to think about what Rob Polinka and Magic have done in short order. You know, this is what should frustrate the Knicks fans. That Magic is coming in short order. They get, what, Brooke Lopez and Caldwell Pope, right? Then they get these solid rookies I think are going to be good. You got Josh Hart, Thomas Robinson. I watched him in the Hoop Hysteria last year. This guy won the three-point contest. He got a motor. He sneaked. Uh, this Kyle Kuzma. From uh, Utah, love them. I love them in terms of they got that straight junkyard dog attitude, but they're skilled players who can grow, and I think they're going to be doing. So I, I like what the Lakers have done to start to develop who their identity is. And we've already talked about Ball being who he is, but I think the Josh Hart one is another sneaky great pick who's going to be a solid pro. He know how to play. Uh, I like that. Um, the Timberwolves. I like the, what the Timberwolves have done. When you think about adding Butler. Todd Gibson, 
Jamal Crawford. The one thing I worry about is, and this is where Thibodeau is has got his issues in some ways. They got to do that, but at the same time, allow Wiggins and Towns still be part of the leadership group. He can't create the Bulls of the West, but if he can do this move, he got but still allow Wiggins and Towns to grow. That means Butler has got to fall into that leadership with them youngins coming up. Then I think they're going to make a really uh, great jump. And then I think um, I like there's two teams who are in the finals for two different reasons. (laughs) Even though Cleveland had all the craziness they had, the offseason still puts them where they need to be. But if you think about Golden State, it's like the rich get richer. They get swaggy teams. They get uh, 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 Omar uh, uh, Cassidy, and they get Jordan Bell in the draft. And then they got McGraw going one extra year, and they retain their stars in back. I mean, I think Golden State had some real interesting wins that I think are important because they got better in a number of key spots while retaining key vets. So that's just a couple of things. I think there's some other teams that did really well, but those are some things that kind of stuck out. Uh, to me. Yeah, I want to pick your brain on this. I, I agree. Golden State, I think, did, did a great job. I think Pop does, I mean, not Pop, but uh, Tibbs does have to be careful about just how do you mix in those young guys with that old, with the old guys and the old guys kind of, you know, allowing the young guys to grow. Um, the thing that I think I've seen this summer that I've realized is at a premium is wing players. Um, and that's what I like. I like what Boston has done. Um, I like what Boston yeah. has done a lot. Um, Boston has figured out a way to win now, but still maintain future flexibility. That's the sign of a friggin' plan, man. That is the sign of a friggin' plan. That's the thing that Cleveland was missing um, when LeBron decided to go there, that they had no sort of roadmap as to how do we win now while still preserving and putting ourselves in position to be able to win in the future and to make this a long-term run. Like the Celtics are a dynastic, a dynastic uh, franchise, and they are not looking to be hot right now. They're looking to be hot forever. And, you know, people talk about the picks that they got and they, they need to flip those picks. Not, not, not necessarily. If there's not a move to be made, then there's not a move to be made. It is chess, not checkers. That's what got the Knicks in trouble right now. You know, the Knicks just yeah. threw a whole boatload of money. You know, a Louis, they didn't threw a Louis bag of money at uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. just to do something. And you can't just be out there doing stuff just to do something, man. It's got to have a Who purpose. They drafted have and a traded. Who I thought they right. traded him in the first place. They drafted and traded right. him. Now they got to pay him more coming back. It's just, it was, when they traded him, I'm like, why are you trading him? He was really, looked like he was. The stuff he did in Atlanta, he was on his way to doing in New York. They traded him. Now they're going to pay him more money coming back. It was, yeah, it, no plan. And, and I think yeah, the other and, and the moves, Knicks, I would say, is the loss of GMs. <laughs> like the, two GMs got lost, right? One got fired. Well, two got fired. Cleveland and New York have really changed the balance of what this offseason could be. Because I think Cleveland would have made different moves had they kept their GMs. And so they're sitting on the sideline. Right. So a lot of these moves are made with Cleveland sitting on the sidelines in a way I don't think they would have been sitting on the sidelines. And then you haven't been able to feel what's happening in New York. So that's opened up a lot of openings for some of these teams that we're talking about where some of these players are going to places that they probably would have ended up in New York or Cleveland if they had, had their leadership in place the right way. So that, that's another part that's opened this game up a little bit more than it would have been. Right. And, and again, if you have a plan – Beyond we that's got LeBron, right. which is that's that's just my I, I, honestly at this point, and it's not because of LeBron James. It is because of the people in the in the organization at Cleveland, just how poorly run I feel like they are. I am so not ever going to be rooting for Cleveland to win a championship because they just don't deserve to. Like they just don't deserve to. Um, they are just poorly run. They are just poorly run, and. What's his face? What's the guy? Uh, Gilbert just does not need to be rewarded for his lack of foresight, his lack of ability to really um, put the people in place. I mean, he's a penny pincher, but he's not a penny pincher, but he's a penny pincher. You know what I mean? Like, he's got the highest payroll in the league, but then he won't pay a GM. And it's like, again, your whole game plan is just 
I got LeBron. <laughs> and I, I'm not I'm not I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that at all. Um but again, that's what I enjoy about what Boston is doing. You know, Tatum looks mm-hmm. legit. Uh they add Gordon Hayward, they add uh the, you know, Jalen Brown is growing and getting better. Yeah. Um they move Avery Bradley, which you know, I like Avery Bradley a lot. I like his game, I like his skill set, but the move made sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they need to get a little bit bigger. They don't have any fours, losing Amir Johnson. So they had to get um, the Morris kid, who is a pretty decent defender. It makes them a little bit more um, flexible defensively where they can switch stuff. And that's, again, they're looking at, we got to be Golden State. We got we to gotta be Cleveland. And we can we need to be able to switch and move and do different things and have some interchangeable parts in order to do that. They see that writing on the wall, and they're adjusting. So the question I want to ask you is, that, but that's, is, is that, that going to force Isaiah to play differently? What's that? Is that going to force – the part that I, I'm trying to figure out how they're going to play, that means you've got to play differently than you did last year. I mean, Isaiah is, can't take as many shots. He's got to be a different kind of score for that team than he was this past year with the, with the added pieces you brought in, meaning that he's not – necessarily going to take as many shots because right now you know he, he shot he had the great the best kind of shooting percentage or numbers in the fourth quarter right but because he had to be but now when you ask someone like Gordon Hayward you had a young cat like Tatum who I, I call him as the next coming Mikhail because they might have him come off the bench you know six man a year early on and then he gonna get a third right. to the starting lineup you know but you got offense and so does that that means he got to be a little bit more efficient you know, his shots might drop if, if they're going to be the kind of team they need to be, and can he do that? And that's going to be the thing that, fortunately enough, Danny Ainge has left himself the flexibility to be able to make that decision and then move off of him and not be stuck. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's the beauty about how they set that up in, uh, yeah. in Boston. That's right. I think, yes, you're right. I think they're going to have to play differently. I think they got the right guy to figure out how they need to play in Brad Stevens. Um, and yep. if IT don't fit, IT going to be out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, they'll move him. And they'll move him, they'll get something for him, and they'll keep going. I mean, Brooklyn will still be bad, and that Brooklyn pick is going to be worth something. I mean, next year's draft is supposed to be pretty good at the top again. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they that's the thing. So they can do what the Sixers did, but be winning while doing it. They don't have to tank. You know what I mean? They got Jalen Brown at three last year. They got Tatum at three. They had the number one pick. Next year they're looking at probably a top five pick again, uh, top two or top three pick again next year. Um, That's three drafts in a row where you're picking in the top three to top five. Um, And you're winning 50-plus games while doing it. Um, They're doing exactly what Philly did. Right, they're doing exactly what Philly did, but they're not having a tank to do it. They're putting themselves in a great position to to win a lot of games going forward. Um, Houston, what do you think about what Houston did? The Houston Rockets trade for CP3. Uh, you got kind of two teams right there. You got the Clippers and the Rockets who are kind of going in. I don't know if they're going in different directions because I like what the Clippers have done. Let's focus on the Rockets right now. What do you think about what the Rockets have done to try and position themselves as a possible challenger to the Warriors in the West? You know, I just – and you, you have to help me because part of what – this is back to what I was saying before with you about um, they can work – they can go against the Warriors offensively. But at the end of the day, can you make those championship stops? You have to make three to five stops. Can you do that? And how does – CP3's leadership style plays when Harden's been the top dog. Like a CP, he's just a, he's a general, right? He only know one way to play, one way to lead. And what is that going to do uh, in terms of how Harden, who's kind of growing into, so those are dynamics. I think he, I think if they can make it work, it's going to be beautiful, right? Um, Harden's already demonstrated because Harden's been to a finals, right? And he's been deeper in the playoffs without CP3. CP3. They had trouble getting out of the first round. So, to what extent does he go after? Because part of his growth is how does he look to some, you know, someone like Harden, and what can Harden bring to the table, and what does he have to give up? Those dynamics are the only thing that I worry about 
with that, and how can then Tony manage that? It's gonna put it's gonna bring Harden off the ball, which is great, but those are the kind of things I worry about with that team in terms of their ability to challenge Golden State. I'm not sure how it fits. And this is why I was hoping to hear you because I think I think you have some really good insight. You a CP3 guy. I'm trying to figure out how that fits. Yeah, I mean it's cute, but it ain't beating the Warriors. <laughs> that's yeah. what my that's what my that's what my that's what my mind's are all summer. Every time somebody, what do you think of so and so? What do you think of this and this? I'm like, it's cute, but they ain't beating the Warriors. <laughs> like, that's a pick for the like, fans. I just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a pick. That's yes. a DM move for the like, fans. When you really look at the move, like how does that help you beat the Warriors? CP3 ain't finna guard KD. Harden ain't finna guard KD. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then okay, and you so train you, I mean, like, the size that you could. You you trade somebody like Decker and some other people got size. So you trade like you getting rid of like you're too. You have you have you have a you have a young guy with size. You get away who plays on the wing, right? Who you right. have to groom, and then. You get then you get rid of your best defensive stopper, right? Well, you're, right. So it's like what, and somehow CP3 was first team all defense. Somehow CP3 was first team all defense. Well, CP3 is a good player, but come on now, yeah. I don't think he should have been first team all defense. Um, but he was. CP3 was first team all defense. So you can say it's a wash uh, between him and Beverly. You get more offense, but dang it, you don't need a great point guard. You don't need a great defensive point guard. You don't need a great defensive six footer. Like you need six foot eight dudes who can play defense and play offense, and so I just don't see how to how to move. Like I said, it's cute, but they ain't gonna beat the Warriors. It's just, they just I not gonna beat the Warriors. Was, that, was, that was that was a front page move, man. It's gonna play it well was. in Houston. It was. People gonna feel good about it, but they ain't gonna realize right, they're gonna win until they down they'll win sixty three. games. They'll win sixty games, and then they're gonna get smoked in the second round. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and at this point, I really don't see a team in the West equipped to really challenge the Warriors. Um, if Rudy Gay is somewhat, if he's 80% of himself, maybe San Antonio can give the Warriors a go because I think the Kawhi, Jonathan Simmons, Danny Green, Rudy Gay combination on the wing might be enough. You know what I mean? To challenge Golden State defensively while still holding them accountable offensively. Um, but I just don't see any teams with a, a really strong core of wing players. Because other than Boston, Boston is really the only team I'm like, okay, they're loading up on the wing. They see the writings on the wall. They're getting a bunch of six, eight, six, seven dudes who could defend and, you know, shoot. Because, I mean, Boston's got. Tatum, Jay Crowder, uh, Brown, Hayward. Um, they got they got a lot of wingy guys. I mean, they got a lot of six, seven and six, nine guys who can handle the ball, shoot, play some defense, play adequate enough defense. And again, it's that Golden State model where Hayward doesn't have to be locked down. He just has to be above average. You know what I mean? They got guys to do the lockdown thing. Same with Tatum. Tatum doesn't have to be a lockdown defender, even though he has the potential to be. He just has to be above averages, for, you know, for for a while. Um, I don't see a team that's really figured out like what they need to do to load up and get after Golden State, um, and that's why I feel like Cleveland's gonna be hurt. Um, Cleveland, I, I just don't think they they have enough on the wings, and you know, it goes back to the point I made, you know, three years ago. Should have kept Wiggins. And, and, and yep. anybody who's in the they, anybody who's in the oh, but they, but they, like Kevin Love keeping Kevin Love was the right thing to do. Nah, man, I ain't with that. Because if he, if that was the right thing to do, why you trading him? Why you finna trade him? You you traded him for a number one pick, a number one pick who's turned out to be a pretty good player so far, and is still only twenty one. You need to make that work, otherwise you it, it's it's a sunk cost. <laughs> At this point, and and that's that's a blemish, you know what I mean? That, that's a black eye. If you gave up a number one pick for a guy that you feel like you can't really ride or die with, I'm, I I think that was really short sighted. And the part that I, I think is so. This is the part of not having a GM. This is why pay Chauncey two more deals of two million, you know, because you you can't let Griff go and then not get a Chauncey for like two million dollars. That you don't get the money back from the merchandise. 
Because you got a young guy like sitting out here, let's say someone like Terrence Jones, 25 years old. This guy rebounds, shoot jumpers. But like you put him can defend a little bit, right? You put him, like LeBron doesn't need the same type of pieces everybody else needs, but he needs cats who can play both ends. You get a young cat like that, but you, you have to have a GM helping you get some of those pieces that they just miss an opportunity. There's people sitting out there who you can bring in, and you need a full season with them, and they're just missing the boat, man. Like you said, you're like Gilbert doesn't deserve this. If you don't let Griff, like you can't let somebody like Griff go and not have a plan and then shortchange somebody like Chauncey. Like there's too much riding on the wall at this point to miss those kind of moves. And there's still some people sitting out there that you can get that can fit into the system, but you got to move now. And so you're right. Barring that, the only other team I think, because I watched them play against them last year, and they played them tough, is Minnesota, but it's for the thing, the thing that's missing. The one thing about Tiz is he ride them too hard, and now they're going to have the offensive innovation to do what they need. They'll play well defensively, but are they going to have the offensive innovation? And the offensive innovation is going to depend a lot on what some young cats do. You got a person like Towns, he creates some problems. <laughs> he, he's a problem child, but if he don't feel like he grow and got the leadership and Wiggins to do something, then you can't really challenge him to. You know, maybe you push him this year with the idea that you come back the following year to really go after him. But you could push him to a deciding game this year. That would be a victory for you. And he got the kind of yeah. to do it if he don't let him grow. I still don't but think the they got enough wings. To do it. He'll get the youngest to do it. Yeah, I still don't feel like they got enough wings though. I mean, you got Wiggins, you got Butler, and two two ain't enough. <laughs> two ain't enough. Two ain't enough for Golden State. Yeah, but, but, you gotta but, have. But, but you gotta have. You, what, what helps you is a guy like Towns who can play in space. Like he can play small. Like Towns gives you that other guy who, when he switches, he doesn't get lost. So you got some pieces there. Like even though you had to win, you got a big like Towns who can guard multiple spots because he's a big, he's athletic, and he don't get caught up. Because when I watched him play against Golden State, you know, there was times he got switched off on uh, on, on staff. was right in front of him. So you do got a big that he creates different problems that you don't – most teams don't have a guy like Big Cat like that. Right, right, but you, right. But, but, but when they, I think when they get hurt is offensively they get stagnant. And that's the part that – and Tibbs has got to let them play loose. And I, that's the part I don't know if he can do yet. I have not seen him coach that way. And we got to see if that changes or not. You're right. Other than that, right. they should run right through the West. You know, if, if San Antonio can't stop him, nobody else is going to stop him. Right. You know, so, again, I like what I'm Portland's like, done. Yeah. I like what Portland's done, yeah. but they, they ain't ready yet. Yeah. Yeah, they're not ready. I mean, and, that, and that's, that's the thing. So, like, the teams that are kind of bubbling underneath the radar are not ready. Um, to challenge. Um, so, you know, we're going to be looking at Warriors, Cavs, I think, again next year um, because I still don't see the Cel- – I still don't think the Celtics have enough to beat the Cavs. Um, I don't think offensively – I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what they look like offensively. Um, yeah. And how are they incorporating a Jalen Brown and a Jason Tatum and some of their younger talent mm-hmm. into – how are they making that that bridge between the guys that are ready to go now, the Haywards and the Thomases and the Horfords, um, mm-hmm. the guys who are not ready to for prime time yet, but are going to be big time mm-hmm. players in two or three years, um, and how they're melding all of that together um, in a way that makes a championship team. Uh, that's tough to do. Um, yeah. I think they can win 55, 50 games doing it, but to really beat a, a seasoned veteran championship team, with that weird mix of young and young guys and now guys, um, unless unless the young guys really take some big steps and some big jumps, um, I think it's going to be tough and complicated. But Brad Stevens, he can get it done if anybody can. Yeah, yeah, so, I, I, I trust you. Yeah, so we're gonna wrap up this podcast. You've been listening to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. Uh, D-Wills, any final thoughts before we, we get off of uh, the airwaves with this particular podcast? Well, I know we're going to continue to talk about it. There's a lot going on. You know, the one thing I'm really interested in um, uh, seeing, uh, you know, where they go, and we didn't get too much in it, but I know it's your team, is the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, 
they're sneaky. DJ Wilson, who they got from Michigan, this is a kid who's got length, can play, and it's like only find himself a little bit. When you add him into the mix with with uh, with the great freak, you know, there's some – it's going to be really – I'd love to have a conversation about a three- to four-year window conversation. Like, you know, Golden State Cavs are now, but who was in that three to – like, they're going to be fully baked in three years. That Milwaukee Bucks team feels like a, like an Eastern version of Utah. It says that they, they're finding their polar stars. They're trying to develop their organizational identity. And they got some people that don't mind being in that space, you know, are growing up there. And it's interesting to, like, find what, what are the three. I think Utah is developing that. You know, what are those three or four teams that, that will be baked in three to four years? I love to be able to talk a little bit more about that podcast. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into that a little bit because when we talk about teams that feel like they have, like the Bucks draft their identity. Like that's one thing I've, I've, I've appreciated about being a fan of this team is that they've kind of figured out like, yo, we could be the longest team ever. <laughs> so we just looking for long, thick, <laughs> <six>, ten wings. <laughs> and I like that, though. I think they figured out that like the next evolution of the game, because you talked about it when we were talking about just like uh, taking a historical inventory of how the game has evolved. They're breadcrumbs that are being dropped along the way. You talk about Bill and beer and guy and big man who've been able to shoot and seeing that. Um, And then, you know, the bulls kind of taking that to another level and kind of playing ball without the center being the centerpiece. Um, And these are things that we saw with great teams that they did and took advantage of and have laid the foundation for things that we're seeing now. And so, like, there are going to be things that – there are breadcrumbs being dropped now for what the game is going to look like 10 years from now. And I think the Bucks are delving into a different kind of a blueprint, which is how do you play small ball without being small, right? Yeah. And I think that's yep. where the Bucks are kind of taking the game is that we're going to play small ball, but we have all these versatile players who can have all these different perimeter skill sets, but they all going to be like 6'10". Yep. Like that, when that team shows up, then the game will have changed again, right? When you have a team <laughs> where they're playing small ball, but instead of playing small ball at 6'7 and 6'8", they're playing small ball from 6'8 to 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet. That's probably right. a whole other situation. And the Bucks have the key player to facilitate that evolution in Giannis, who is a seven-foot point guard. So now yeah. it's just finding guys who are tall at their position who can do enough. When you talk about a Chris Middleton who can play the two at 6'8", you know, they drafted DJ Wilson kid who maybe he can play the three, maybe he can play the four. That's Jabari, right. when he gets back, is a 6'9", small forward or power forward. Then you put That's in the right. Wilson kid. Now you got a six ten small forward, a power forward, and then you got Thon Maker, who's seven foot one, who can shoot threes and block shots. So now you got a lineup where your smallest guy is six foot eight, and they all got perimeter skills. Boy, <laughs> you heard it here first. Those are the breadcrumbs that are being dropped for the next next evolution of basketball. Now maybe they mess it up and it doesn't come to fruition, but it's a breadcrumb, right? And you can see, like, yeah. okay, I see what they're trying to do. And sometimes the first person to do it doesn't always get it right. It's the next person yeah. that comes along, and they learn from the mistakes of the first crew, and they revamp that imprint. But the thing that the Bucks have that don't anybody else have is Giannis. And Giannis allows you yeah. to kind of see that vision because you have a seven-foot point guard. And you appear to have a link between the people on the court people in the front office and the ownership. There's continuity in right. that. What you really right. what you really need in a small market. Like you can't win without it. Like you gotta have alignment around that. And the thing I also want to have you talk about upcoming because I think this is part of it, you know, this is from your coaching side. So bring your coaching up. Like the importance of continuity in the offense, like the flow. That 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 uh, when you start playing this style and having the size, part of what makes it work is having the offense with enough continuity and flow and invert that is about reaction, right? It's not it's not designed in a way that's more pattern often. It's designed with some central principles that have some continuity in it that allow for people to be interchangeable. So it's harder to scout. I think that's another part of Golden State 
that's hard to do. If they can improvise on the run, because they got basic principles, I think that was the value of of uh, the triangle in a sense that there's concepts that do it, but they can break and play based on how you defend it. So there's a lot of flexibility in the game and how the evolution of how you teach offense with this is another piece. And so I, and hopefully, and I know this is something you look at a lot in, in developing your stuff that I, I'd love to have you share with the listeners, because that's stuff they don't hear a lot of other podcasts. So understand why right. this works right. underneath. And um, yeah. it's not just the skill stuff, but it's how you put it together in a way that helps people understand and develop stuff that it, that makes it real kind of natural instincts playing off of it because you have certain principles you react to that allow for the flow to happen. So I think I love to be able to dig, dig into that because that's a, a continuation of the identity you're trying to develop as an organization or a team and why you select the kind of players you select. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely, definitely. So we're going to wrap this one up. That's going to do it for the yep. Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. Until next time, Game Changer D. Will signing off. Tonight's show is brought to you by Carbon World Health. Make sure you check them out at carbonworldhealth.com. Connect with them and learn more about lifestyle medicine. This is lifestyle radio. This is a lifestyle podcast we got going on right here. <laughs> you know. So, until next time. Until next time. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.